You're listening to the Code 4 Podcast. Whatever, 25, you've got Code 4. Here we go, 4, 11, 4. Welcome back to Part 2 with Scott Rankin. We recorded outside on a beautiful spring morning. We did battle with an airplane and a motorcycle, but we were ultimately defeated by a leaf blower. So there's a little background ambiance in this part. Oh well. Scott continues with his story, and we will hear the word unfaithful, as the pain he felt inside himself was transmitted to others. All right, well, we're back from our break, and uh, as we were drinking our iced teas, we were talking about the achievement-based self-worth, and you want to talk about that some more? Yeah, Jeff, no, I appreciate it. Um, I think it took me quite a while to figure out that I fell into that category in my life. And one of the lessons I learned from my childhood was that you rely on no one else to do anything for you. Um, also, unfortunately, trust, it becomes a, uh, a big issue. And so if I can achieve things, if I can do things, I become valuable. And in some ways you'll want me. And if you'll want me, then uh, hopefully someday that'll translate to you know, you'll love me, you'll accept me. And so my depth of understanding on that certainly wasn't connecting the dots, but I learned to be successful through, uh, we were talking about the Marine Corps ROTC unit and being part of their drill team, you know, won a, a collegiate national championship with them, you know, highest level through, not because we were the most talented, dedicated, hard work, right? Um, went into the, the Marines, was a platoon honor graduate, series honor graduate, and company honor graduate. Not because I was the smartest, the toughest, the fastest, or any of that, um, but because of hard work, because of sacrifice and the ability to you know, take punishment and keeping it pushing and all that. Um, and so I learned how to achieve things at a high level, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. But looking back, I recognized that in large part, my, my self-worth was tied to uh, my achievement in my own eyes. And so you brought that whole thing because that's who you were, started with your marriage and working with the police department afterwards, that drive to always be achieving yeah, well, I think the negative side of that, if I can speak to it, it, it comes with perfectionism. Um, when I didn't, uh, when I failed, it would become catastrophic. And I think that showed up uh, significantly and most impactfully in relationships. My high school sweetheart and I were engaged to be married right as I was leaving for boot camp. And she also went in the Marines, you know, right as I was getting out of boot camp. So we didn't get back together for about six months later. And um, she ended up getting pregnant. 
before we were due to be married. And it was, let's see, she was six months pregnant the first time that I had been unfaithful in my life to someone. And that was catastrophic to me in my mindset, my mentality. And instead of looking at the issues, instead of trying to figure it out or work through anything, or even bringing it up, I avoided. Because I knew at this point, if I was fully known on some level, I couldn't be fully loved. And uh, I would, um, you know, people would leave me. And so I would love to sit here and tell you that I had the guts to have the hard conversations up front. I didn't. I actually waited until her parents flew all the way out from Seattle. We were in Virginia at the time. We drove an hour to the Justice of the Peace. I was literally in my dress blues. She had a dress. Her parents were there. We were walking into the courthouse and I just froze outside of the the second set of doors. Um, and about 30, 45 seconds later, her mom came out and it's like, you coming? I just looked her in the eyes. I said, I can't do it. Wow. I can't do it. And I ran. From that point forward, there was no conversation around the relationship. that I never even gave it a chance. I cut it. And I ran from it because I catastrophized that it didn't go perfect, didn't go the way it was supposed to. And certainly I had made poor choice. And, you know, in a lot of people's eyes, that might be, you know, catastrophic enough for any relationship to end. But the point is, is I didn't even give it a chance. And did she know about the, when you were unfaithful, did, had that come up? I don't believe so. Okay, and so, you know how people can repeat behaviors and, yeah. and a comfort level. Uh, for anybody that's listening, uh, the book, The Body Keeps the Score, uh, Bessel van der Kolk is the author. He talks a lot about this kind of thing and where people, there's a certain level of comfort and they will cause things to happen, repeat things uh, to maintain that level that they're more comfortable with. And so do you think that that had something to do with this? I think that's a phenomenal point. Um, it's taken me a really long time to kind of dig through some of this stuff, but I think you're hitting the nail on the head coming from the place I came from and only really knowing uh, trauma, dysfunction, neglect, abuse, um, really honestly a lack of real intimacy a lack of really any relationship. And then having uh, a father who, quite honestly, I resented and hated on a lot of levels. Um, yet he's the only one I had. I'm staring in the face the reality of having a child when I don't even know who I am. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think in a lot of ways... I seized an opportunity to self-sabotage because at least then it made sense. 
at least then there was a justifiable reason for me to run. At least then maybe I was doing the quote unquote honorable thing because everyone knows that if you're unfaithful to someone that you can't be together, right? Mm. Which is not true by the way. Um, but that's what, that's what I feel like a lot of people or society might think or say. Yeah. Or the shame that you feel within. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, I was not connecting the dots, not even close. Oh, We're no. talking yeah. 25 years later mm-hmm. when I'm able to actually do a lot of the work that I've avoided to where I recognize and go, okay. So her folks were adamant about her giving the baby up for adoption if I wasn't willing to, to commit because oh. they knew it was a healthy thing from their perspective um, and the best for the child. And I don't disagree with them at all. In hindsight, and I gave up my rights and never saw her, never met her. Only thing I knew about her was that her name was Delaney, and that was it. Wow. Yeah. And so your ex-fiance, mm-hmm. she agreed to relinquish the child. She did. Okay. I believe I have not talked to her in years and years and years, but I think that was an excruciatingly painful and hard uh, thing for her. Yeah. Well, that is a story on top of the other story. Jeff, I have too many stories. This podcast is going to be far too long for (laughs) uh, for your listeners. They're not terribly interested, I suppose. We're moving towards police work. And so we come into these professions, all of us with our own basket of goods. So your basket's kind of full already with some of this stuff. And now you also met your current wife. And so you're married. I am. You went ahead with it. Maybe we should talk about meeting her. Yeah. Uh, Man, I'd love to tell you, I'd I'd learned a ton between the time I had uh, um, ended that relationship. Uh, But Delaney was born in November and I met Susan in February. And we, uh, (laughs) kind of funny, not funny, but literally the first words that we spoke to each other because she was a Marine as well. Uh, we were in Yorktown, Virginia together and I'd come into the administrative office to get some paperwork done. And I think she was busy and it wasn't a good time, but me being, you know, self-centered and the world revolves around me type of, uh, uh, mindset at the time didn't give me the response that I was looking for. And I literally said to her, well, you don't have to get your panties in a bunch. And I walked out. I know it's terrible. It's horrible. It's a great pickup line. It's not, (laughs) it's, it's not cool at all, but it's the truth. It's Mm -hmm. honest. Yeah. We later, um, met in the, uh, the communal area Mm -hmm. and, uh, she kind of apologized for being short and I apologized for, um, my inappropriate commentary and we actually started dating. Uh, I know. So it did work. Yeah. It's terrible. Don't ever do it. Um, and no, I don't make comments like that today, but, uh, that's the truth of the matter. And, um, we did start dating, but all of that stuff, all that baggage didn't go away. No. Just because I was entering into a new relationship. Uh, the reality is that I had trauma eggs and that pain that is not transformed will be transmitted. And unfortunately, that's um, looking back 
kind of a theme of, of my life. I didn't ever do the work that was going to be required for me to transform my pain. And to be fair, did you even know? That's part of it too. Oh man. We may not even really know. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, no, I knew that I wanted to have a better life than, than I did, you know, growing up. I knew I wanted someone to love in this world. I knew that I wanted to be a good father. I wanted to be a good husband. I, I wanted to do the right things. Um, I was not equipped uh, off of the get-go or set up to be able to do those things well. You know, we were talking to kind of go back a little bit about when uh, when I was found to go way back at nine years old. Uh, my mom had told me that when I was found at nine years old, not only was I disheveled in appearance and dirty and wearing, you know, high waters and all this other stuff, um, I couldn't read couldn't write and I was doing math on, on my hands. I was uneducated. I wasn't dumb. I was actually smart, but I had been set up to fail. I had not, um, I wasn't educated. And I think in a lot of the same ways, fast forward to entering into relationship, um, I was ill-equipped. I was uneducated. I was falsely uh, living life under this idea that if I was going to do have anything, do anything, um, it would have to be on my own shoulders. Um, well, you only know what you know. And while I did have um, well-meaning mentors that came about that helped along the ways as much as I had allowed it, I found myself uh, really falling for... Uh, Susan and I, and by God's grace, we are still married today, almost 26 years later. And that is a miracle. Because of what happened? Well, because of a lot of things that have happened. Uh, and I'm speaking of, we hadn't told our listeners yet yeah. about what happened after you and Susan were married. Yeah. And you're working for the police department. Well, no, actually not yet. We, we get married um, okay. uh, my second year in the in the Marines. Um and within six months, I'm unfaithful. Go out on a deployment, unfaithful. Six months, you know, nine months later, go to uh, airborne school, jump school. Again, found myself acting like I'm single when I'm married. And then having shame around it. And certainly not having the courage to um, come forward and talk about it because that's a death sentence for sure. And so here I am. I do love this person as best I know how, yet I'm over here doing behaviors that are, ironically enough, against the value system that I've put in my own, my own head. And I found it in times where uh, I'm alone, where I'm away, and where I'm creating a narrative in my own brain about, you know, what she's doing or know that she's going to 
you know, someday it's going to, uh, the rug's going to get pulled out from underneath me because that's what happens. Um, that's what life had taught me is that, you know, good things in life are not reserved for people like you. And, uh, she's far too good for you. She's too smart, too beautiful, too athletic, too, all those things. And so unfortunately and tragically, I created yet again, um, really what I feared most. Rejection and abandonment. Those are my root fears in life. And I was every step along the way creating. And, you know, I held on to those secrets. Uh, didn't talk about them. And anytime you have secrets, by the way, in relationship, um, it creates a disconnect. You can try to rationalize as much as you want and tell yourself that it doesn't or whatever. I've tried all the tricks in my own brain, but it always creates a separation, a division between uh, real intimacy. Yeah. Now, were you able to compartmentalize, you know, function at work? You have all this stuff going on inside. Yeah. And doing a very challenging job. Yeah. So that's even, that's even before I, you know, um, I'd gotten into, uh, to policing straight out of the, the Marines, um, and yet to address a lot of those, uh, issues, but for sure. Yeah. I'd, I'd learned how to compartmentalize my whole life. So the notion of doing it in law enforcement wasn't new. It was something that I was used to. Um, trauma wasn't new. It was something that I was used to. I was just putting more of those trauma eggs in over the years, you know, of law enforcement, of uh, seeing the worst uh, of people in society and, you know, getting in fights or having people try to stab you or shoot at you, uh, getting in multiple really catastrophic car crashes, one of which resulting in a car catching fire. And, you know, just all of those things, the mentality that I had was, what I'd fall, fall back on that, that thing I talked about with childhood was like, Hey, everybody's got a story, you know, suck it up, drive on. And so while the crash I was telling you about where I went through a 90 degree turn, uh, at 70 miles an hour and into a guardrail, a tree caught fire and only by God's grace, am I not a statistic? I didn't know how to handle it. So I put on this, this mask this image, this front, like, that's no big deal. I was trying, I didn't, I didn't try to do that. Yeah, I was chasing a car. Yeah, I got in over my head, but my intent wasn't bad. And, you know, I got my three days off without pay for it, but I didn't have the maturity at that time to show a little bit of vulnerability to admit that it did cause me sleepless nights that I did think about, man, what if I didn't get that seatbelt on 10 seconds earlier? I'd be dead. My family gone. Oh man. What if there was a, a van full of a family driving the opposite direction just at the wrong time. And I plowed right through that intersection and killed all of them. 
These were my actual thoughts. Yeah. But I didn't let anybody see that. The challenge, there's a lot of challenges with that. But what does that come across as to your agency too? Oh man, this guy doesn't get it, right? Wow, he's hard-headed. You know, I guess we better discipline him a little harder because he can't admit that he's in the wrong. I had not yet learned how to be vulnerable, to expose and show um, my fears, my hurts, my concerns. I had fallen back on my default, which was to, you know, be stoic, put your chest out, suck it up, be a warrior, you know, don't let them see you sweat. That's all I knew. And I got to tell you, in so many aspects of life, it did not serve me well. Started to catch up. Oh, for sure. You know, three, the chief on that particular incident, he threatened to fire me, you know, for it. Um, I was like, what? Why is he threatening to fire me over this? <laughs> but it scared, you know, it scared me. And he was appropriate. And it was good. You know, discipline in that particular thing was a good thing. I think oftentimes, you know, as officers, we view, you know, being disciplined or whatever with this really negative or oftentimes bitter, resentful um, perspective. What I've learned through a lot of this stuff, and again, it's taken decades, is that that was good. I needed that, that accountability. You know, um, I needed someone to care enough about me to get me back, you know, in line, as opposed to allowing me to uh, rationalize why, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. I wasn't trying to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Hurt anybody or do anything. Did you get the sense that they were trying to help you? I did not. Yeah. No. And do you think they were, or were they just doing their job? That's a good question. I think the chief at the time is a good guy. Um, likable, but I, I didn't really have a relationship with him. So I don't really know the answer to that. I don't know if it was just a, hey, we're protecting the agency and this is inappropriate or, or if there was a genuine, hey kid, you know, um, I know you haven't been around enough to have seen the way that this plays out so often, um, but I have. And because of it, you know, I'm going to smack you um, because hopefully you learn this lesson on the cheap instead of, um, you know, with the heavy price. Yeah. Well, and I think that discipline can be good. I think sometimes we struggle with the way it's given. Mm -hmm. And it is nice if you get a sense that this is for your own good type of thing. And we do value you. But I think in the past there's been harder type administrations that they didn't get into the we're trying to help you kind of thing. Um, but we don't know for sure, you know, not necessarily. Yeah. And I, I think it does take a bit of a skill set too, to have someone that is thoughtful enough to one believe this way, but two communicate it is that, you know, boundaries protect love. 
In your marriage, boundaries, they protect love. You can make the correlation in your agency. Boundaries, right? Um, You're protecting that thing that you value. And if you allow people to go outside of those boundaries and you have no consequences for it, you're not protecting the things you value. In your marriage, if, if you allow people to step outside of those boundaries with no um, repercussions from it, you're essentially moving your boundaries. And at some point, boundaries get completely washed away and there's nothing to protect uh, love. And that's for me personally, what I did um, in my marriage. I think we're going to need to move inside, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. This leaf blower. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's just do that and we'll pick it up. Yeah. Join us for part three, where you will hear how Scott bottomed out and nearly loses what he loves the most. You will also hear an uplifting story of transformation and hope. Thank you to Robert Elliott, Erica Voyeur, and Jim Gould for their voices and help with the podcast intro. The music heard is Wah Game Loop by Kevin McLeod. You can find it on the web at incompetech.filmmusic.io slash song slash 4602-wa-game-loop, and the license is at filmmusic.io slash standard-license. All of the music information is posted in the episode description. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is JR signing out.